darling. While Clarice. Have the lamb stopped screaming? Oh, wait. Is she a great big fat person? Oh, agents, darling, you think you can dissect me with this blonde little tool? It rubs the lotion on its skin. It does this whenever it's told. But pro quo, I tell you, you tell me. Not about this case, though. But pro quo. Hello, the internet. This is the Good Trash Genre Cast. <laughs> and uh, we are here gathered around a table. Ordinarily talking about movies that you would never study in the film studies course, but we do this thing where we allow the host to make a pick, and Arthur has made a pick, and this week's pick is The Silence of the Lambs, which could come up uh, in a film studies course. I don't know if it would or would not, but it certainly is an Oscar winner, and uh, one swept the major awards. Yep. Uh, so One of a few, very few films to do so. three, I believe. It's, it's kind of too good for us, uh, typically, but we're going to do it anyway because Arthur made the pick and it's on Netflix, and so that's what's going to happen. But before we do this and start breaking into the movie, we need to do some introductions, and we're so lucky this week to have a guest host. Uh, if you would, sir, introduce yourself. My name is Nick Sanford. Uh, I do stand-up comedy and independent movies primarily, which is a fancy way of saying I have no money. It is all true. Across the table from me, sir, if you would. My name is Dalton Stewart, and uh, no, I, I don't. I don't know Nick Sanford. Oh wait, was he a great big fat person? That was last Christmas. <laughs> I, I started running though. <laughs> Some kind, uh, sir. If you would introduce yourself, I am Martha Gordon. I wake up in the dark sometimes, and I hear the screaming of the lambs. It's it's it, it's a true true word. And my name is Dustin Sells. I'm going to have some friends for dinner later tonight. And I'm so glad to be with you all <laughs> talking about the Silence of the Lambs. Well, I won't be for Can long. Can I just say, if I don't see Hannibal eat a census taker in the show, I'm going to be sorely disappointed. Oh yeah, God, right? I know. I am terribly disappointed. That would be a fun. So before we get started, uh, I feel like it's important to note this is. Nick Sanford, filmmaker in front of the show, that comes up so often on our, our social media feedback. <laughs> Nick, this is your third episode joining us for actual recording? Third or fourth? Fourth. Well, if you count the interview. Yeah. Okay, yeah. There was an interview Brown. show. Jackie Brown, the interview, and then and Ghostbusters. That's right. That's correct. Well, it's it's a pleasure to have you back on the well, show, man. Thank you. You're, 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 you're one of our most regular um, contributors, really. <laughs> I'm very there's, sorry about that. There's Caleb <laughs> and there's you. I'm so sorry. Well, it's, it's, it's because he eats a lot of fiber. Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. It makes him quite regular on the show. We're yep. so glad to be here talking about these things with Nick and others, and we are now going to uh, do what we do, but before we get into this movie, we got to remind you, dear listener, this is a analysis show, not a review show, which means uh, we are going to be spoiling away. Okay, um, there's there just no way to help, help it. It's just going to happen. Anthony Hopkins eats Julia Child in the end of the movie. It's just what it's what occurs. And uh, <laughs> I was just thinking about Julia Child's voice, right? Good evening, Julia. Oh, hello, Hannibal. It's so funny. Uh, it's funnier in my head because their voices sound accurate. <laughs> well, thank you, Dalton, um, for that journey into. LSD if you're room. not laughing right now, you're not picturing it <laughs> wait, at all. You're, wait, you're going to spoil the movie? I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm do. 
Whoops. <laughs> it's been out for 20-something years. You should have watched it by you, now. You really should have. Yeah. Yeah. But we will give you the opportunity, dear listener, to hit pause and then, um, based on what we review, to see the movie, if you wish to see the movie, and then go ahead and hear our analysis. But before that, we have a synopsis from the voice of the cinema himself, Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir. A young FBI cadet must confide in an incarcerated and manipulative killer to receive his help on catching another serial killer who skins his victims. Thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Um, as you all know, the movie ends where uh, Buffalo Bill designs all the costumes for Les Miserables. And, uh, we... It's never not funny. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and then Anne Hathaway gets an award and me and Nick defend her against the internet. Correct. I dreamed a dream in time gone by And hope was high and life worth living Correct. And now we know why that dress was shaped so strangely. Moving right along, uh, we are going to uh, give our quick reviews, um, even though, again, as we say, this is not a review show, and uh, then we'll move directly into our analysis. I begin with you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What do you say? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Does this work or not work? Oh, this definitely works for me. This is a great film. Um, it's odd. I've, I've been on this weird Hannibal Lecter kick as of late and trying to explore as many options as I can uh, with the character. I've been watching the TV show. I've watched... Recently, Red Dragon and Hannibal, uh, the Ridley Scott film, and Hannibal, the television series, of course. I would like to see Manhunter again. Where did you watch uh, Red Dragon? Because I thought it used to be streaming on Netflix, but isn't it? I actually went out and bought it. Oh, wow. I wanted to see it. Sounds like you should just go ahead and buy Manhunter. Yeah, well, if I can find it. It's I'm hard not. to find. Yeah, Manhunter's a little, little more obscure than Red Dragon. Correct. But, uh, you know, this is an odd... This is, honestly, I think the first movie I can remember I have memories of seeing. Really? I remember, not the whole thing, but I specifically remember when she's doing the obstacle course at the beginning of the film. Far too young. And so, yeah, (laughs) explains a lot, I'm sure. It deservedly, it won the top five Oscars in 92, and it it joins, it happened one night, and One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, So there are three films to have done so, and it is one of them. Uh, The acting, the writing, editing, direction, everything is spot on. Uh, And I think if you want to talk about genre elevation through artistic Flourish. This is one of those keystones that you go to uh, because this this goes from a uh, psychological thriller to another upper echelon of filmmaking, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so for me, uh, I don't know what it is, but I've seen it several times in the last few months, and it's it's definitely become one of my favorite films. I think. Thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Nick Sanford, what do you think? Does this movie work, or is it up to the hype? Uh, I have very okay. I love the movie. I give it four trash cans out of four. I <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, I don't know why it took it that uh, took us that long to figure that out. That has never system. happened. Is it really not? <laughs> yeah, I can't believe that's the first time anybody's ever said that. Ever yeah. episode what sixty three? God, yeah. well, drag. I need a writer dragging <laughs> our feet on that. <laughs> um, I love the film. I love watching it. I've watched it also a lot in the past few months. I just put it on my phone a couple weekends ago. Uh, it's a big inspiration for a movie I'm about to start or I'm about to start raising money for. And I think it's a total mess. And despite all that, I love it. I think the a lot of the dialogue is very hammy. Uh, Anthony Hopkins is to Hannibal Lecter what Jack Nicholson was to the Joker, even though I still love him. Um, all the supporting characters are kind of like the supporting and bit parts in the Chris Nolan Batman movies, and that they go way over the top, and they really stick out like a sore thumb, like the uh, 
It's Pember and you talk to him, damn it. You know, that's yeah. just, uh, that's ridiculous. Sergeant Tate. Um, the whole Lecter escaping thing, uh, is, I love it. I love watching it. I have no problem with it, even though it really doesn't belong anywhere in the movie because it really doesn't do much for the story, I don't think. But I, I love I love the music. I love, mm. Tak, I love Taku Jimoto's cinematography. He's, mm-hmm. one of my, he's one of my favorite cinematographers. I think Jodie Foster does a great job. I think uh, the person playing the younger uh, Clarice does not do a wonderful job. <laughs> Daddy! Daddy! <laughs> Again, it's a weird supporting bit thing that it's cast strangely. But overall... Um, you want to go out for cheeseburgers and beer? Yeah. <laughs> it's really... Yeah, that's Strange. always takes me off guard but uh no i think it's totally deserving in its place amongst pop culture even though it i i don't like that it purports to know as much about serial killers as it thinks it does because serial killers no serial killers that behave anywhere near the way the serial killers in this film behave but it's a movie that's why it's fun we we like our super villains so i like it fair enough thank you love it Thank you, thank you for that, Mr. Nick Sanford, and giving us a rating system that we should have developed, I don't know, a long time ago. <laughs> the first show. <laughs> Dawson Stewart, let's say you, sir. I, I would I would echo a, a kind of a combination of both what Arthur and, and Nick have said. I, I think it is a perfect, capital P, perfect thriller. Uh, when you think of what is a thriller supposed to look like, look at Silence of the Lambs and look no further. That being said, it is a wacky film in places. As I, you know, I, I quote at the top of the show, the phrase "Well, she's a very big fat person" just totally ruins the the tension and momentum of that scene. Why <laughs> does Jack Crawford know that Clarice Starling is in danger? It dry, that drives me <laughs> crazy. It makes my spidey senses tingle. Yeah. Well, the, the, there's like this Bane deliverance of uh, when the girl goes to help him. Would you? I mean, it, it, it totally is the Bane oh. voice, right? Oh. Do you need any help? Would you? <laughs> This skin suit is mobile. <laughs> it's yeah, it's wacky as all get out, but it is a awesome movie. It's so cool, uh, and yeah, uh, me and Nick actually had this conversation off air recently. Uh, I was talking about how much I like Mads Mikkelsen in the Hannibal television series, and how I think he really is a better Hannibal Lecter than Anthony Hopkins. But it's a different performance. It's Anthony yeah. Hopkins really just being like, hey, what's up, Hollywood? Because he, you know, he was not a big name actor before this film and really just kind of kicks the doors mm. in uh, and chews the scenery up, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> but is it a... I laughed way too hard at that. Is, is, is it a good performance? Not really. I don't think it is. Is it a memorable and iconic and fun performance? Hell yeah, it is. Uh, but, but it's not nuanced. It's not deep. Uh, I, I just think it's very good. Um, I, I think the the thing that make the things that make Hannibal interesting are on the page, not what Anthony Hopkins brings to them. Yeah. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Uh, I think Jodie Foster's great here, though. I think it's it is a one of her best performances. I think she really brings a, a depth. Uh, and a vulnerability and a power to this character that, that really make it one of these standout female characters uh, uh, in film. Mm-hmm. Uh, for sure, there's a reason that people keep wanting to come back to this property other than the fact that it makes giant, big-ass piles of money. Um, it's an interesting tale. Yeah. Uh, this uh, Whether you, you look at the, the Will Graham stuff or the Clarice Starling stuff, it, it is an interesting tale of, of these people who, who make a deal with the devil, so to speak. Uh, in the, in the pursuit of stopping another devil, and it, it's God, it's just so good. 
And that breakout sequence, yeah, it doesn't really need to be in this movie, and it's kind of this weird action movie sequence. But it's awesome. It's so cool! <clears throat> yeah. He wears yeah. another guy's face! <laughs> and who hasn't done that? <laughs> face off. Um, it, it's so cool. God, I just, I love this movie. Uh, but, the, I mean, what more do you want? If you haven't seen this movie, where have you been? Dustin Sells, what do you think about Silence of the Lambs? As I wrote in Letterboxd, is this movie good? Next question, are you stupid? Of course it's good. I mean, it's, it's, it's Silence of the Lambs. It's great. It is fantastic. You should watch the movie. Um, I watched this movie way too young as well. I remember <laughs> um, first exposure to premium channel cable. Um, I'm over staying with my dad, and it was one particular summer, and it was like on repeat, you know, as premium yeah. cable does mm-hmm. with the movies. They had just gotten the property. So we're, we're talking directly following, you know, sweeping the Oscars and whatnot, and just being on all the time. And I am 10, 11 years old, and I just kept seeing. And, I, and I, this is the first time I'd seen other movies too young mm-hmm. before that, but th- this was the first time I realized just this is really transgressive. I shouldn't be watching this. I will sit down and watch this. <laughs> I mean, that was completely. My I think mine thought. was American Beauty. Okay, yeah, 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 very similar experience. Mine was The Exorcist. So <laughs> I love that movie. Um, Me too. But that's that was kind of my my initial experience with the movie. It totally works. Um, I, I get what you guys are saying. I think the iconicness of uh, Hannibal Lecter, um, played by Anthony Hopkins, is totally there. Um, I, I totally agree with the uh, bit rolls being. Week, yeah, um, and that's probably being too kind. That's, that's being pretty generous. Uh, so there's that, but that's what makes it fun, though. It, it really is um, great writing. I mean, really, truly great writing. Uh, it, it proves that sort of axiom that mediocre novels make excellent movies. Uh, Jaws uh, being an example, The Jurassic Exorcist, Park. Jurassic Park, um, etc. And I. So I well, yeah, I know, right? Uh, the movies themselves, though, are, are much better than the source material, and I think this, this is the case here as well. And uh, just shot uh, gorgeously, um, and as Nick said earlier. So, yeah, I've got nothing but good things to say about the movie, although clearly there are some weirdnesses. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for those reviews. Let's move on now and do some analysis, because that's what this show is about. So, spoilers ahoy, dear listener. Um, we're going to now see what's going to happen. What happens is Hannibal Lecter and Jodie Foster both go away together in Argentina. Correction, that's actually a spoiler for the end of Hannibal in the novel, not in the movie. But, nonetheless. <laughs> Dalton Stewart, what analysis bring you, sir? Well, obviously, uh, as listeners know, I like to do sociology and, and, occasion- yeah. and occasionally we'll dabble in some psych, and I think we got to look at both of these to look at Silence of the Lambs, because what I really want to talk about is, is serial killers uh, and the study of them. Uh, not specifically uh, psychological profiling, although I don't think you can... If you want to look at Silence of the Lambs academically, I think you need to touch it. Um, <laughs> because Silence of the Lambs really brings uh, you know, the, the behavioral analysis unit of the, the Federal Bureau of Investigations to uh, the limelight in a way that it wasn't before 1991. And, it creates and has that thing that makes all yes. those TV shows. And then, yes, which has launched a bunch of movies and TV shows, and people are like, oh, that's a thing? You mean there's a there, there's a part of the FBI that just chases supervillains? Yeah, we're going to make a TV show about that. Um, so I think it's really important to talk about. Uh, and what I, I I would like to to start this discussion uh, by by basically talking about what is a serial killer, how typically we define it, and uh, I'm paraphrasing all of what I'm about to say from an article called "Serial Murders: The Construction." Uh, it's an article by Daniel Larson, uh, who's uh, writing out of the University of Iowa. 
uh, he talks a lot about and studies how, how serial killers happen. Uh, and what he focuses on uh, primarily in his research is, is this, this very common note of childhood trauma, which is not, of course, to say that all people who suffer childhood trauma will become serial killers. It's just that it is a common trend in serial murderers that they have all experienced some sort of childhood trauma. So there's some, some sense of abuse or, or rejection from their family. Uh, but it can also be a lack of coping skills, whether it is from abuse or whether it is just from general neglect or detachment from your family, not feeling uh, like they belong to society or to their family, or some sort of physical or sexual or emotional abuse. Can um, you know this, this culmination of things can lead to, to this person who has no social attachment. And that's really... Uh, and a lot of theories of criminology, that's one thing that's focused on. Uh, the, the, obviously, there's a myriad uh, theory of why people commit crime in criminology, which is an offshoot, uh, kind of a, a merger of criminal justice studies and sociological studies. Uh, but one very popular idea is that it comes from a lack of social attachment. Uh, <clears throat> and that is something you really see in, in, in serial killers and, and uh, sociopaths, as they, most serial killers are typified. Um but, you know, you can see this in, in, in all people who commit crime, in, in, um, and uh, especially violent crimes, is something that's argued. Uh, one of the things that Daniel Larson mentions in his article is this post-traumatic stress, is post-traumatic stress disorder as a, a um, catalyst for violent crime, talking about uh, members of gangs looking at poor uh, communities and looking at black men and lower-class communities, and how most of them report some... Uh, form of history of traumatic events and how when um, you know interviewed and studied a lot of them show symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder these men being gang members um, so it's, it is not specific to serial killers that a you know a history of trauma uh, can lead to uh, indulging in violence um, but uh, Larson makes a point to remind us that <clears throat> despite what you know is commonly thought uh, by the the layman, most serial killers are saying they are not insane. They are fully aware of the difference between right and wrong, which is what you know, why they are most uh, when undergoing some sort of psycho, psycho, psycho psychological evaluation. Excuse me, uh, are typified as sociopaths uh, or psychopaths, which common to uh, contrary to popular belief, they're, they're synonyms. There, mm-hmm. there really is no actual distinction. Uh, they they are two words for the same thing in academia. Um, uh, in layman conversations, they can have different uh, uh, definitions, nuances, nuances, right. and definitions. But, but uh, I mean, in the uh, the DSM four, which is the the manual of um, of mental disorders, it's sociopath slash psychopath. There, and they all fall under uh, a disorder that's called. Um, oh my gosh, social? Uh, nope. They're all part of the same. They're they're all words for the same disorder, and. Forgive me, I, I'm forgetting what that disorder is. Again, my field of study is sociology, not psychology. Uh, but I, I want to move on since we've I kind of defined serial killers. I really want to talk about the study of serial killers and not just criminal profiling, uh, but really how we we study them. And um, in, in an article called uh, Researching Serial Murder, Methodology and Definition Problems, Ronald Hinch talks about why there are a lot of problems with how we we look at um, serial murder. And how I would kind of summarize what he has to say is that we're studying the snow globe from within the snow globe. So we have built the snow globe, 
and now we live inside the snow globe. And then from within it, we try to look at it and define what it is. When in reality, you need to step back and take that that fourth dimensional perspective to really get a look at it to prevent yourself from wearing blinders. Because he talks about no research is perfect. I, I mean, uh, he talks about the problems with both uh, quantitative uh, and qualitative analysis, this being uh, analysis and research that deals with numbers and uh, research that deals with interviews uh, and um, compiling you know, news articles and things like this. The problem with qualitative research, you know, where you're, you're looking at uh, media coverage of serial killers or interviewing police officers or interviewing serial killers, it all, is that all these people are liars. Uh, and that's not to say that you know, they're liars by definition. That's just people lie. It's news media's job to make things sexy. Serial killers don't really have a regard for social norms. They're not big on truth, uh, especially you know uh, people who are intelligent sadists and sociopaths. I mean, uh, part of their game is messing with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with cops, a lot of it is um, people who don't have an academic definition of what they're looking at uh, trying to explain what they experienced and part of it is, you know, some, some bravado. Um, and that's something he talks about a lot is the people that uh, talk about sociology or, sorry, serial killers uh, are either coming at, from it, at it from an academic perspective or an on-the-ground perspective. There aren't a whole lot with experience in both fields. They are out there, mm-hmm. uh, but, but they are much fewer than people speaking from anecdotal um, experience and people speaking from research experience. Um, and, that, and that's really a lot of what he talks about. Uh, it's that ideology is the enemy of science. Again, coming back to this idea of studying the snow globe from within the snow globe is when we start out with these problematic definitions of serial killers. Some of the ones he points out are uh, they kill strangers, uh, they don't kill for profit in any way, and they're all men. He, he says this is to misdefine what a serial murder, murderer can be. Uh, you know, there are female serial killers. There are serial killers who kill people they know. There are <clears throat> serial killers who kill for profit. Be it hitmen or terrorists or be it a, you know, a serial rapist who murders his victims uh, to avoid prosecution. Um, mm-hmm. You know, his primary, uh, the, you know, the, the criminal's primary um, goal is, 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 is that rape. It is not the murder. The murder serves to number, you know, to tie up loose ends. It is not specifically about the murder itself. It is about that material gain, the material here not being not going to jail. Um, where this comes into criminal profiling is kind of tying up what I'm talking about, uh, is, is that uh, it is problematic, and a lot of criminal profilers um, are on the ground, uh, and, and that they, they aren't coming from this academic field, which doesn't mean that academia has any better grap- grasp of it in and of itself. It's that we're, I mean, we're taking people who, who don't have degrees in sociology mm-hmm. or, or psychology. They, mm-hmm. they don't. They just don't. The FBI uh, and other um, agencies who do criminal profiling uh, are, are looking at this from their experience. And as, you know, he, uh, Daniel Larson, I'm sorry, not Daniel Larson, Ronald Hinch talks about, uh, is that there is a problem with our definitions and our methodology in studying serial killers. And when we rely on these, these tired and true definitions and these tired and true uh, researches, um, we're going to find some problems. We're going to be looking for the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what he talked about. There was a, a study done out of the University of Liverpool uh, that looked at criminal profiling uh, and, and really one of the 
two of the things that they really landed on about a problem with it uh, is that how much can one act really tell us about a person? Uh, because what we're looking at here is conjecture. It's not scientifically verifiable. There is no way to empirically prove what we're looking at. It's all anecdotal, as we talked about. Uh, and anecdotes, uh, you know, speaking to kind of bridge the academia and the layman, um, anecdotes are a problem to, to say, well, in the summer, uh, we sell a lot of ice cream and there's a lot of murders. Therefore, ice cream, ice cream causes buys, murders. Yeah, totally exactly. Causes it's, murder. it's a, it's a, it's a, a false or a misleading correlation. Um, you know, Although after I had liver with fava beans and Chianti, I love I scoop of ice cream. I get a little crazy. Um, but that's that's the problem that that we're looking at is we're looking at these anecdotal stories about when it does work, so we ignore the times when it doesn't work. Sure. Uh, and, and the reason I, I wanted to talk about this tonight is because of how popular the Silence of the Lambs made this school of thinking, and yeah. it kind of became. For a while, the only school of thinking about violent crime, uh, when there's a lot of problems with it. I mean, the Beltway Sniper was totally misprofiled. Uh, his profile as a white man uh, in his uh, 20s to 30s, when in reality it was a, a black teenager and a black middle-aged man. It's um, just one example, but and it's not to say that it is to be discredited. I mean, there are numerous, numerous stories of, of it working. But again, that's the problem. These are right. anecdotes. These are not scientifically verifiable things. Right. There are a lot of things that cannot be proven through uh, quali quantitative and qualitative scientific research, be it social science or, uh, quote, hard sciences, although I, I hate that because it implies that social sciences are not hard when in reality they're harder because they don't have any answers to the questions sometimes. Oh, is that what you're going to say? That's what I was going to say. I was not going to make a <laughs> dirty joke, you pervert. <laughs> no, I was just thinking you were going to just, you know, defend your own school of science. I just did. Yeah. It's harder because Shocker. there's no answers. Right. But in hard sciences, math, math and biology, physics, mm -hmm. quantum physics, chemistry, um, you know, there is a way of doing things, a way of balance, a system of checks and balances to verify data, to say, your methods are flawed, go back and try again. Mm -hmm. you, you measured this incorrectly, you said something relates to something it doesn't really relate to, you need to rethink this. In behavioral uh, analysis and behavior profiling, especially when, in regards to the way that uh, law enforcement agencies do it, th there is that problem. Uh, is we look at the things, the way that things have worked, the way we know things have worked, and we keep doing them. But uh, you know, we talk a lot about systems on the show. When I, we do our sociological analysis, uh, and systems can become dialectic with themselves mm -hmm. instead of being dialectic with the outside and creating. Uh, and, and causing a um, what's what's the word I'm looking for here, Dustin? When a dialect, what's a dialect create? Uh, well, you have the um, thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. Synthesis. Thank you. Uh, we're, we're preventing that synthesis of academic uh, research and uh, ane anecdotal experience, uh, and I think that's a problem. But uh, I, I, it's something that uh, really, while watching Silence of the Lambs, I couldn't help but think about uh, in in watching it. Turns out movies somewhat mask the truth. Precisely. Yeah. Um, you know, which is, again, I, that, that's an important point because much of what we learn <laughs> about things is from the movies, and mm -hmm. they frequently lie to us. So thank you for that, and I think that's an important thing to be thinking about as we think about social constructs of what a person 
who fits a certain profile uh, looks like and how we know what that serial killer is like. Because, frankly, some serial killers are extroverts, even though we always say that they always say, even though they don't always John say. John Gacy. Yeah. yeah he, he had kind of quiet, kept to himself. Block like, parties around his right. house. And then he would kill people. <sighs> yeah. Not always introvert. And again, it's just looking at the snow globe from within the within the snow globe to really kind of boil it down to yeah. a single sentence. Yes. You've got to be careful about constructing a reality around yourself because then it makes it impossible for you to step outside and look back on it. I like that. Thank you very can much you, for that. Can you turn that high-powered microscope inwards, Doctor? Yeah, look at yourself. No, oh, it was a ham-handed segue into <laughs> Nick Sanford. I was just going to start quoting True Detective. <laughs> <laughs> when you look at time from a fourth-dimensional perspective, you see that it's a flat circle. Something uh, Dalton and I have argued a little bit over how much power profiling can have. I agree with him when it's done poorly, it's done poorly, but uh, the good guys can do it correctly, but most of those good guys aren't around anymore, like Robert Ressler and John Douglas, if you heard of them, they basically pioneered criminal profiling yeah. in the early or in the late 70s. I know you have. Oh, I know, yeah, I know, you were talking, looking at them, but anyway. Silly girls. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I did English. But, um, <laughs> but, and actually John Douglas is who Jack Crawford, the character, is based off of, which is... Or that's what that's what they said he was based off of. I don't think that they. Sh- I don't think that that's really a thing, because Jack Crawford is kind of like Tommy Lee Jones in No Country for Old Men. He kind of screws up a lot, makes yeah. a lot of people mad, doesn't do very good work, gets very lucky. And John Douglas, the real life person, was not that at all. Endangers unqualified people. Sure does. Sure yes. does. Uh, yeah, it just makes a lot of just pretty bad call. And also, he's psychic. He can tell from half the country away when Clarice is in danger, and even though that's a great, that, which brings me to my actual analysis of the film, there are so many messy moments in this film that I think that's what makes it fun for me. So many, how does that even happen? Like when she calls and says, "He's making a woman suit," he's blah blah, and he's like, "Clarice, we know we're already going to wherever," and he never really gives that much of an explanation for how they figured out. You know, Where they thought they were going, yeah. It, it's very, very confusing. And the uh, anagram stuff she has, her, I mean, it's just really wacky Your stuff. Your anagrams are showing. But despite all that, that's that's why it's such a fun movie for me. The I mean, it's sloppy construction is what makes it just pure entertainment for me. I think it's a 100% perfect entertainment just like roller coaster ride and you know kind of it's because me and Dalton talk we're talking about the you know the push in when they realize they're in the empty house you know the Clarice it makes zero sense but it's so cool it has a great effect um another thing I love is the production design Mm-hmm. I was just eating the last time I was watching this film which was on Valentine's Day by myself I was eating a couple of paninis I was like, oh, it's okay, buddy. It's okay. Give me a hug. Dustin's giving me a hug, everyone. It's going to be okay. I got my dog. That was sounding bad. <laughs> but uh, but anyway. I, I need to go wash up. <laughs> but anyways, um, this movie is... Uh, it just sticks with you so much that I was eating a couple of paninis toward the back half of the movie, and when she goes in, you know, when she's trying to when she's going through the lair and she's trying to find gum at the end and she comes upon one of his, uh, or I guess it's his only woman suit, I about threw up. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this movie probably 15 times and that makes, and I'm 
I can watch just about anything and it doesn't bother me, but this movie just really, there's something, I mean, even when she's walking through a corridor, there's something grimy about the whole yeah. thing. Like, mm -hmm. you just need a bath afterwards. And a lot of that is the cinematography from Taku Jimoto, who, as I mentioned, is one of my favorite cinematographers, but I think that's really all the analysis I have. No, I like that. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what analysis bring you? First, I wish I could speak a little more to feminism. Ooh, uh, here we go. I wish I could. <laughs> I'm not going. I wish I could because I, I think it's certainly all over this film. I think Clarice is a phenomenal heroine. Oh, for sure. Um, she's strong. She's focused, determined. She doesn't need a man to save her in the in the last instances. But not only with Clarice, but her her friend, her roommate, is equally as smart because mm -hmm. they work together to you know formulate this idea about gum and the lust. You know, you, or covet. You covet what you see every day. And then even Catherine, the the senator's daughter, is strong in that she she has a plan. She she comes up with a plan. She doesn't wait to be rescued. She's going to try and find a way out of that. Absolutely. That and so I think all the female characters in this movie are really really well written, and that may go back to that source material like we were talking about earlier. Um, and so I, I wish I was more well versed in feminism because I think this would be just a a playground for that that theory. There there are articles both uh, at. This being a a, a pro, uh, you know, from a feminist theoretical perspective, theoretical feminism perspective, uh, there are both for and against articles about this film. It's very interesting to me. Yeah. That different people have taken different, different things sides. away from it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next thing I think, uh, if you look, I think it's interesting if you were to look at this from an auteur theory standpoint. Um, mm. It's interesting because typically your auteur, if you were to look at it through that standpoint, is going to identify with. You're a protagonist, but here I think Hannibal Lecter's the director. He knows everything that's happening. He yeah. knows all the pieces before before anything, and so for for this film's purposes, Hannibal really kind of takes that auteur uh, avatar type position here. While Clarice is more of your audience or your leading person, and and then Crawford kind of steps in as a producer. So you have this Hitchcock O Selznick type relationship here, right? I like this. Um, and so that that was just something that struck me. But uh, just kind of in a formalist manner, there there are a lot of things here that stand out. Where Demi is really he's playing by the uh, by the classical playbook in a lot of ways, uh, and it's something Nick was talking about. Where it's the way, or how do you say it? The way it's put together, structured. Yeah, or it's messily structured. Or, oh yeah, mess. Yeah, it's so messily structured. Yeah, like shotgun approach. Let's see what yeah. sticks. Because I mean, he's doing. He's showing us almost everything. He shows us Hannibal looking at the pen that Chilton's holding, like. Obvious, so obvious what he's doing, and we see Hannibal holding the little, and he's giving us all the clues, which several times. Yeah, it's like, so, do you get it, guys? Yeah, uh, he's doing that so well, and what he does is it's something that's interesting because what does he say? Hannibal says, you know, when when he first meets Clarice, you were courteous and you were receptive, you established trust, and then she leads in this ham-fisted segue, right? Right. What what Demi has done in the film is he's given us a very courteous and receptive introduction to our characters. We meet Clarice. It's very... I mean, there's nothing very intense that happens until multiple MIGs uh, right. insults Clarice and then throws his human on her uh, at the Institute. Which is awful. Which is really the first intense or abrasive act that takes place within the film. And so, in doing that, and in keeping with these classical guidelines, he's established the trust of the audience. And so, when those things do happen, they are very abrasive or they're unexpected and he plays it so well even to the end I think where you see it the most uh, because we know you know we know where the FBI are and we get 
uh, exposition shots. We see, you know, we see the exposition, uh, we see exposition shots of the houses where we see tiles across the bottom, Chicago or, or the city outside of Chicago, whatever it is. And then, so he's leading us to believe because he's established this trust with us as a filmmaker so far that we are in the right place. We are with the FBI. And then he throws it all off when he shows us that Clarice has found James Gunn's home in Ohio or wherever, wherever right. we are. Belvedere. Belvedere. That's such a cool... I mean, again, Jack Crawford's spider senses notwithstanding. That's <laughs> such a cool moment where they're, you're like... Clarice. Oh, God, they're raiding, they're raiding Gum's house. No, they're not! Joke's Clarice is there. Yeah. Uh, that's so cool. And I think it's, it's this really interesting news because he is over-relying on these classical tools, these very over-expository type things where he's showing us things so much that it does... It intensifies the thriller aspect of it. Mm. Like Dalton was saying, this is a near-perfect thriller, I, I believe. And it's because he is establishing this, this sense of trust. And it kind of causes us to overlook the ham-fisted things that he does in the dialogue or in the characters or what have you. And so I think for that, it's, it's just a testament to the film's, I think, the material, but to the direction as well. And I think it's just there is a lot there to look at. All right, well, Dustin Sells, let's close with you as we always do. And what, what, do, what do you bring away from this film? Well, I want to look at some formalism as well and, and the effectiveness of it. And, it, and I, want to, I want to talk about it in terms of genre and classification. Of course, genre is not a be-all, end-all. It's not a set of rules that are rigid and fixed. Uh, but this film does present um, generic problems in that there are certain... Um, points of correlation with the horror film mm-hmm. they're obviously the, just a standard kind of crime narrative there is this Gordon Willis-esque you know uh, technicolor film noir uh, sort of shooting that's going on here and I, and I love all that about it so it kind of confuses genre but what, what Demi does I think that, that's fascinating is his use of these massive close-ups mm-hmm. massive close-ups staring directly into camera uh, and they're, 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 they're littered throughout the film. And there are even others where they're just very, very close. There's a scene where Jack Crawford is looking on camera, and then it's just all around his face. And his face is like part of the frame. You see like this back corners of his office. But it's always just these massive faces uh, throughout the film. What horror film does often um, to create a sense of identification is they use POV shooting, point of view shooting. Uh, John Carpenter's quite famous for doing this in Halloween where, where we get a Michael Myers perspective uh, throughout several portions of the film. Uh, and it, it always has been picked up in lots of places. And, and of course, those uh, killers, those slasher killers, become sort of supervillains and they're who we go back to see. In the same way, we have that sort of identification with Hannibal Lecter. We, we, we have the same sort of thing here with that identification with Hannibal Lecter. I mean, it's his movie, but they don't do that point of view shooting. And yet there's still the same sort of visceral horror kind of effect where we feel very, very frightened at points. We feel very, very identified at other points, but it's done differently. Instead of looking as at what the killer looks, it's that the killer and others are looking directly at us. And we find ourselves identifying with them. And what Deme does is he he diffuses the identification. We identify with Jack Crawford feeling responsible for Clary's. We identify with Clary's feeling her fear. We identify with her roommate feeling this desire to assist. And we identify with Hannibal Lecter and his desire to manipulate things. And don't forget, we also are doing the same thing with Jane Gum. Oftentimes through the glasses, though. 
And that's why Buffalo Bill doesn't quite have the same, I think, name recognition that the other characters do because he's so often wearing his night vision goggles uh, when we see those, uh, those straight-on uh, sort of close-ups of, of Buffalo Bill, with the exception of the Goodbye Horses scene, uh, which um, is off-putting for other reasons. <laughs> Isn't it? Dalton, put your pants on. Uh, the, the thing is, uh, this all creates this sense of affect, this sense of identification, and that is, I think, why this movie lingers with us, is that we find ourselves identifying with whomever is on screen at the time, and Deme's use of these extreme close-ups is what makes that happen, and I think it's part of why the movie works so well, is that we experience the character in a way that doesn't break the fourth wall. There are, things, there are times when this happens in other films. Uh, Jean-Luc Godard uses this at times. Uh, Woody Allen does this at times where a character looks directly into camera and it breaks the fourth wall. You go, oh yeah, I'm watching a movie right now. This happens when Clarice and her roommate are figuring it out and it's all just as back and forth between the extreme close-ups and you're going, <gasps> you're figuring it out with them. It doesn't break the fourth wall. It, it actually injects you further and deeper into the story and I don't know why it works like that. But that formalist effect is creating... There's, there's basically uh, three basic ways of identifying with film. And uh, one of them is the visceral identification, that this, the, the sense of feeling. Horror film, of course, does this because something happens inside you when you feel tension, right? Um, another example is pornography, where it, it, it's, it's, it's visual experience that elicits a physical response. And what this does in the psychological sense is it creates this visceral sort of feeling, but it's also psychological in that you are experiencing the agency of these other characters. And that's kind of amazing, yeah. right? And I, I think just the way the movie's put together in shot choice is the real power of it. And that's, that's, that's why this movie sticks with you so much. Because really, if you think about it, as Nick has mentioned, as Arthur has mentioned, as everybody's mentioned, uh, historically, sociologically, uh, narratively, plot-wise, a lot of it's a mess. But you're in the movie, and I think it's the close-ups that make it happen. And that's the analysis I would bring. All right, gentlemen, well, I just love the chance to get to talk about movies with you guys and to uh, share these sorts of conversations. Now, we've got to ask this question. Shelf or trash? Else or instead? I ask you, Nick Sanford, what do you say? Uh, shelf, definitely. I would, I, if I had a room on my wall, I would get a framed poster of this movie. I love it that much. Else or instead? I've got three. Uh, and instead would be seven, which to me is the definitive... Or the bet, not that. It, okay, Silence of the Lambs is the definitive '90s serial killer film. Seven is the best '90s serial killer film. So that would be an instead. And Thank you for mentioning a thing I'm not allowed to talk about. Yep, I did it just for you. Um, and else would be Signs. Uh, I say that because it was shot by Taku Jimoto and also has you know the creepy you know Uga Booga stuff. So that would be a good else. And the other else would be Zero Dark Thirty because it's a young woman in search of a monster. Oh, I like that, that pick a lot. That is, lot. that is a good one. That's yeah. well thought. That's I like good. it. That's... Mr. Arthur Gordon, shelf or trash, else or instead. It's on the shelf. It's been on the shelf. What do you want from me? Uh, I'd say, I think you go ahead and check out Red Dragon and Manhunter, or, or Manhunter. Take your pick on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a big fan of Hannibal so much. I'd say you can watch this with The Dark Knight. Uh, I think that'd be interesting to see uh, side by side. And then I'd wrap up with David Fincher's The Game and Seven, as Nick mentioned. And then I'd, I'd say Brian Singer's Usual Suspects, just for fun. It's for, for iconic performances of good acting and 
or maybe just overly chewing the scenery, however you want to look at it. I like that pick a lot. That's excellent. Mr. Daltonster, what do you say? Shelf or trash, else or instead? I would say it certainly goes on the shelf. I mean, with, without a doubt. As I mean, I ta- as I talked about the, the open of this show, it is a perfect thriller. You would be sorely um, um, letting yourself down to miss this one. Uh, else, I, I would recommend, uh, as Arthur did, you, you continue to experience the Hannibal ca- canon, and I would say you check out NBC's Hannibal. Mm-hmm. Uh, created and executive produced and uh, you know uh, head written by Brian Fuller. Um, we've talked a lot about this, the four of us, uh, off air this last week in preparation for the show about the television series Hannibal. Uh, and I really am of the firm opinion that Maz Mikkelsen is a better Hannibal Lecter than Anthony Hopkins. I, I, I say that without uh, pause or without uh, doubt. I, I think Hannibal, again, uh, as a movie I think we mentioned, is a lot of fun. He is iconic, much like uh, as Nick made the comparison earlier. It is uh, Anthony Hopkins is to Hannibal Lecter as Jack Nicholson is to the Joker. It is memorable. It is iconic. But is it the best portrayal of that character? No, no. There are more nuanced. There are more interesting. Well, there's characters. one. Well, for both of them, yeah. There is one very nuanced, very interesting, uh, very better <laughs> portrayal that I think you would be letting yourself down uh, on looking at this one portrayal and not taking in these other counts. I can't speak to Brian Cox's portrayal as Hannibal, although I've seen bits and pieces of Manhunter and I liked what I saw from him, but I haven't seen the whole film, so I can't really attest to that. Uh, I would also say you check out the, what to my mind is the original, uh, one of the original serial killer movies, and you take a look at Psycho, which I think has a lot of influences on this film as a whole and, and the novel that this film is adapted from. Psycho is adapted from a novel. Both uh, take some inspiration from real-life serial murderer Ed Gein. Um, yeah, dude, watch Psycho. If you haven't seen Silence of the Lambs and you haven't seen Psycho, then I don't know what you're doing listening to a film podcast. Right. But that's what I've got. Well, thank you for that, Dalton Stewart. I would also say Shelf, um, although it's not currently on my shelf. Um, never have gotten around to purchasing, possibly because of ubiquity reasons. We talked about that with the Avengers. I've just had chances to see it very often, and I've seen it a dozen times probably, and never having had to have owned it. This is how it's worked out in life. So um, eventually, though, I'm sure I will find it someplace, and I'll end up picking it up. Um, I would have gone ahead and recommended Psycho as well. I think it needs to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's just fantastic, and it's something you ought to look at. And also, in terms of close-ups and a serial killer, there's an earlier Alfred Hitchcock film um, called Shadow of the Doubt. And there is a particular moment in the film where he is delivering a Hannibal Lecter-worthy speech about these stupid, foolish women that are his victims, but we don't know this at this point. And there is the slowest of slow push close-ups into a very, very extreme close-up, and you don't even know what's happening until he looks at the camera. And then it blows you up. You go, I just got sucked in by the beauty and amazing just nature of Joseph Cotton being Joseph Cotton. And you feel dirty because you know he's a baddie, but you loved him all through that moment. You were just absolutely enthralled by him. And it's it's a moment unlike what Demi does, but I think it's an inspirational to how Demi handles uh, his framings uh, for the movie. So check out Shadow of a Doubt. It's, it's, it's my favorite Alfred Hitchcock movie. So... You know, for whatever that's worth. I like it very, very much. 
Um, thank you, gentlemen, for all of your recommendations. Dear listener, you've got homework, I believe, after listening to what we just uh, talked about here together tonight. Uh, let's talk about how you can suggest to us other films, or you can critique our readings, or suggest different readings, or whatever else you'd like to say about Silence of the Lambs via the various means of social media. Um, Mr. Arthur Gordon, have you anything to say about that? Uh, yeah, you can find us. Uh, you can first foremost, if you need to, you can email us, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, then you can find us on the premier uh, social media site that is out there, uh, facebook.com forward slash goodtrashgenrecast. Uh, we do not have any feedback this week, which is torturing my soul, but we will move beyond this. But you know, it is an important means of social media. I mean, if it were a country, it'd be the third largest in the world. True. That's an excellent point that you make, sir. Do you have anything else? Is there anything else that might, you know, compare to that, that'd be worth of mentioning? You know what you look like to me, Dustin? <laughs> With your, your fancy hair and your cheap shoes. You look like a rube. A well-scrubbed, hustling rube with a little taste. Good nutrition's giving you some length of bone, but you're not more than one generation from poor white trash, are you, Mr. Sells? And that accent you've tried so desperately to shed. <laughs> pure West Virginia. What is your father? A coal miner? Does he stink of the lamp? How you know how quickly the boys found you. All those tedious, sticky fumblings in the back seats of cars while you could only dream of getting out, getting anywhere, getting all the way to the Twitter. I am uncomfortably comfortable with how close to home that particular uh, <laughs> reading was, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Um, you broke my heart a little bit. and um, it's, I, it's my favorite part of every episode. I'm not even a generation away from poor white trash. That's it. <laughs> is there any feedback? Uh, there is scant, scant little. Um, Dustin, uh, you personally uh, wanted to point out an article, uh, or not an article, really, a website uh, called artofthetitle.com, uh, and there's an article on that website talking about why isn't there an Academy Award for Best Title Design. Uh, so you went to that article and you recommended some recent winners, which would be every James Bond film, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Cabin in the Woods, and Barbarian Sound Studio uh, as some best title design nominees that you recommended. Brigham Cole, uh, as always, being up on the links in the news, gave us a, a fun parody to uh, Spike Jones's Her called Burr, as in B-U-R-R, as in <laughs> Bill Burr, the comedian. Uh, there was a lengthy discussion between a, a future co-host uh, and Dustin, that is really obnoxious and clogged up my feed. We got lots of retweets and lots of favorites, which I really appreciated. Uh, and Caleb Masters, former co-host and friend of the show, uh, tweeted in with some of his director-actor team-ups. He uh, mentioned Ryan Johnson and Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, from Looper and Brick, uh, Del Toro and Ron Perlman, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, and finally, Paul Thomas Anderson uh, and the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, so he offered some of those to us as suggestions for his picks for actor-director team-ups. And that's what we've got coming in in terms of feedback this week on the Twitterverse. There also was a correction. I don't know why I said Foreign Correspondent was a Grace Kelly film. That's Doris Day. I knew that. I was really confused. I was thinking To Catch a Thief for some like, reason. I was remake Foreign Correspondent. <laughs> I, but, you know, it's, it's two Americans abroad. Thinking, uh, I thought you were thinking uh, The Man Who Knew Too Much. Mm, yes, it was in no. my head, but that's not it. Either. No, I was th I was thinking to catch a thief. Um, two two Americans abroad, mm -hmm. but it's a very very different story. But anyway, 
that's what happens sometimes when your brain is making connections and they're not necessarily there, but they're not necessarily not okay. there either. Um, thank you um, so much for those uh, means of social media. We really want the conversation to go. And what we do on these uh, various means is we give you opportunities to um, think more and to uh, look at some other ideas about cinema in general. And so it's not just an opportunity for you to say things because we recognize that you may be somewhat introverted and don't want to say things, and that's fine, but you may learn things as well. And if you think the things that we say are smart, we find much smarter people to put on those articles um, because, well, it doesn't take much. But moving on. We have a game. <laughs> Dear listener, <laughs> it's game time. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> So we're going to play our game, which this week is we're going to recast Silence of the Lambs with characters from other film franchises, the, major memorable film ensembles. The game this week is brought to us by Arthur Gordon, who, who jokingly suggested, uh, he, were you watching Harry Potter? Well, we, no, I don't even know. We, well, we've just been talking because in the future, dear listener, there will be a potter sode mm-hmm. uh, down the road. And so I had Harry Potter and Silence of the Lambs on my mind at the same time, which... Two universes collided. Do, do you remember your picks? How, how From the Potterverse, over? let's see, I believe Voldemort was Hannibal Lecter. Mm-hmm. Clarice was Hermione. Uh, of course. Barney was Hagrid. <laughs> uh, Crawford was Dumbledore. Chilton was... Maybe Lucius Malfoy? Maybe something like that. Really any of the any other... other uh, well, or professors for uh, the Dark Arts. Yeah. Uh, and then Buffalo Bill, I believe, was Neville Longbottom. Uh, and so we, we, went, we went back into the canon, and we, we put Harry in as Will Graham yeah. from Red Dragon, and uh, when we asked who would Ron be, obviously he would be the Red Dragon. Right. So, <laughs> so there's no much more you can do with that. I, I still think Severus Snape should play Hannibal, but... That would be... That might be better. Nick, you had a, a better pick for Buffalo Bill, didn't you? Uh... The snake's name, Nagini, Nagini? Nagini. <laughs> nice. I like that. So that's that's how this this really weird game that thinks is going to be a lot of fun. It's right? going to be, I think, amazing. Mr. Delster, what say you, sir? Well, uh, Arthur said something that um, I, I misunderstood as what would the name of this, this cinematic universe be? So that we'll, we'll work from there. My, my Matrix, uh, the Sons of the Lambs crossover, would be the Silence of the Ghosts in the Machine. Um, so... We're going to start from the top. Agent Smith would be Hannibal Lecter. Uh, I, I feel like uh, Joe Pantoliano's character, whose name I, I'm struggling to remember, Cypher, mm-hmm. uh, would be Buffalo Bill and Chilton. Um, <laughs> Morpheus would be Jack Crawford, which is ironic because yes. yeah, Lawrence Fishburne plays Jack Crawford in the series. Um, Trinity would be Clarice Starling. Neo would be Will Graham uh, slash Clarice Starling's roommate. And uh, Mouse would be the senator's daughter. <laughs> Next, we'll move on to my Mad Men Silence of the Lambs universe, which I called Silence of the Angry Sheep. Um, Don Draper would be Jack Crawford. Okay. Uh, Peggy Olsen would obviously be Clarice Starling. Because she's got a vagina, why else? Uh, because she's learning how to work the system. The system of men. That's why, Nick... I got a I got a double pick uh, with some help from Nick for Buffalo Bill. Uh, that's Pete Campbell and also the na- the weird neighbor kid Glenn. <laughs> Glenn. Uh, if you watch Mad Men, this is making a lot of sense to you. He watches Betty Draper pee and asks for a lock of her hair, and she gives it to him <laughs> weirdly. 
Uh, but also Pete Campbell's a creepy little snake in the grass. Um, I, I would say Roger Sterling is, is probably uh, Hannibal Lecter because he offers nuggets of wisdom but is kind of an asshole. But also if you want a, an eccentric person that offers nuggets of wisdom, then uh, Mr. Cooper, uh, Burt Cooper, would also be a good Hannibal Lecter. Uh, really, you're spoiled for choice in this universe. I would say that uh, Harry um, Crane would be Barney. And finally, uh, Will Graham... Uh, again, to dig dig back further into the canon, uh, would probably be Betty Draper. I don't know why that makes sense, but it's funny to me. <laughs> Finally, we'll end with my The Departed Silence of the Lambs crossover, which I call uh, Silence of the Dearly Departed Fucking Lambs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> with an E. With an E. The Padded, padded Lambs. In this case, Leo's character would be Clarice Starling, obviously. <laughs> For other that. obvious reasons, Matt Damon's character would be Buffalo Bill. Uh, with uh, Jack Nicholson here being Hannibal Lecter, <laughs> Sergeant Dingham, <laughs> which is just always so funny to me. Sergeant Dingham would be Chilton. Um, Dingham. What? Dingham. Dingham. Sergeant Dingham, thank you, would Dingham. be Dingham. <laughs> Sergeant Dingham would be Chilton. Um, uh, mm. Martin Sheen would be uh, Jack Crawford. Oh. I know, right? And finally, Vera Farmiga would be Barney and multiple Migs. <laughs> because multiple Migs is the person that comes the closest to having sex with Clarice Starling. <laughs> there you go. But also, she could be Clarice Starling because mental health. Right. And that is my game for the week. Thank you, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Uh, Mr. Nick Sand, for what bring me, sir? Uh, the first movie I've got is The Happening. <laughs> Just because I was trying What's to, happening? I was trying to go, which uh, coincidentally was also shot by Taku Jimoto. For Clarice Starling, I've got Mark Wahlberg. For Crawford, I've got Zoe Deschanel. Uh, for Chilton, I've got M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> yes. For Lecter, I've got the little girl that they carry around with them. <laughs> and then Buffalo, Bend, Buffalo Bill is the wind. It's <laughs> the wind. I like, uh, it. I like it. The other one I've got is Zero Dark Thirty. Okay. Uh, I made better sense. Clarice <laughs> is obviously just Jessica Chastain's character. Uh, Jason Clark would be Crawford. Uh, Chilton would be Kyle Chandler's character. I don't remember his name. I just remember yeah, his, yeah. he's an annoying little prick in that movie. And uh, Elector would be M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> <laughs> That's my game for the week. Excellent. I like it very much. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what uh, game do you bring, sir? Well, I, I didn't know we were preparing multiples, but I think I can go on the fly on that one. Uh, my first one, though, would be uh, the one... Uh, it would be a movie that competed against Silence of the Lambs for the best picture. Oh, that's right. And that is Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so, Hannibal is the Beast. Clarice <laughs> is Belle. Uh, Crawford is Papa, her, her, her father. Maurice, I believe his name. Chilton would be Gaston. Uh, obviously. obviously. Uh, Barney is Cogsworth. And uh, Buffalo Bill is LeFou. Uh, the apish little sidekick of uh, Mr. Mr. Gaston. I, I like that very much. That's, a, that's good. I would that's watch really, that movie. That's really good. I think then I could do, we could do it with Dexter, Silence of the Lambs through Dexter, where checks out. Hannibal would be Trinity, uh, played by John Lithgow. Oh, the Trinity Killer. Trinity yeah, Killer, sorry. Yeah. Played by John Lithgow. Um, Clarice would be Deb. Chilton would be Quinn. Um, Crawford would be probably Batista. Mm-hmm. Um, Barney, I don't, I don't know. Laguerta. Uh, Laguerta, that's Laguerta. exactly what I was about to say. Uh, and then Buffalo Bill would be Masuka. <laughs> <Would> be, <laughs> that checks out. Yeah, that that be my, that's my game for this week. 
I like it very much. All right, Dustin Sells, what are, what are your thoughts on this weird crossover experiment? I only have one pick, uh, so I, I I came overly prepared. I just had a bunch come to mind. Clearly, um, I'm going to go with Ghostbusters. Um, <laughs> I almost did that. Uh, Sigourney Weaver is obviously our Clarice. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to put Bill Murray as a uh, uh, Jack Crawford, and that strange sexual dynamic that Lecter points at mm. that he would just play it just like. Do you think he fantasizes about you, Clarice? Yeah, he does. Um, <laughs> yes, definitely. He absolutely does. Egon is going to be our head of Elector. Harold Ramis <laughs> is going to do that. Yes? Heat him up. Do. Ray. Egon. Um, I'm also going to uh, say that uh, Barney's going to be played uh, by Janine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Which is fun. And then um, Dan Aykroyd uh, can also possibly play Barney. but um, Rick, uh, Or, or um, Buffalo Bill, which would be interesting. But I, I'm, I'm between him and Ernie Hudson, honestly, as Buffalo Bill. I'd almost rather have Ernie Hudson. Well, who's Rick Moranis going to R- be? R- Rick Moranis is Migs. Yeah. All right. Thank you. That was a weird game. I liked it a lot. It was very weird. I should have done that. I should have prepared for that. I could have done the right one. It was. It was really weird and tons of fun. Um, Thank you so much uh, for sticking with us, dear listener, uh, through that excitement. This is a weird episode. It's an awesome episode, (laughs) and I'm I'm excited to be a part of it. Um, It's a great plan, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Also, Ghostbusters reference. Game over, man. It's game over. Moving right along, we're going to do what we always do and talk about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. Arthur Gordon, are you fired up? Another slow burn. Another, Another slow burn here. Uh, I'm potentially, hopefully by the time this dropped, I may have seen Grand Budapest Hotel. Yay! And possibly Divergence. Wait, where up? I believe, uh, I've got a screening for it, but I believe it's opening at the Warren and at AMC. I looked up today that it's not hitting the Warren until the 28th. Is it not? Yeah, next Friday. I've I've got a screening for it this Thursday. Douche. I'm sorry. It's alright. Tell me how it is. I'm going to follow you there. Do you have an extra one? No. Okay. I just already had to disappoint my wife. It's one of the ways that happens. Um, <laughs> he beat me to it. Uh, the second, uh, something that is kind of interesting to me, uh, Veronica Mars opened this past week. Yeah. That doesn't have me fired up. But the, <laughs> the means to which that came to yes, being. I knew that's where you were going. This, I, the Kickstarter thing in which they raised $5 million through 90,000 people. I think this is just an interesting place for filmmaking in itself. This opens up a whole new world of opportunities, and it, it's just another step in this the strength of fan culture, I believe, that we've seen in recent years, especially with all the kind of catering, the way Comic-Con has gone more commercial, and it's, mm-hmm. it's I think fan culture is becoming a lot more influential in what happens in films, casting, and uh, the movies being made, and things being chosen. And so for me, I think how Veronica Mars came to be about, that after all this time, and, and especially saw it with Arrested Development. Mm-hmm. on Netflix and, and the way and the new Star Wars Clone Wars season that's on there mm-hmm. and so I think it's just it speaks to a testament of fan power and, and things like that <clears throat> the last thing I'm, I'm kind of fired up about is that I've heard uh, a rumored announcement that the next season of American Horror Story will take place in a carnival what? a carnival a carnival didn't we I last hear uh, Nazis? I don't know this is, this is something I heard today a writer let slip that it may be Taking place at a carnival. That's so exciting. That could be fun. I'm just excited. There's fun to be had there. So I like it. That's exciting. Gypsies, werewolves. Gypsies, trans and thieves. We hear it from the people.
Mr. Nick Sanford, are you fired up this week? I'm fired up about a few things. The first one is uh, the media ran a story on me earlier, and they got every single fact wrong. Excellent. Uh, they said I was on my deathbed. I'm not. They said I'm the Westboro leader. I'm not. They said my my name is Fred Phelps, and I'm not. They got every bit of that wrong, and I'm very irritated. <laughs> and, like, I mean, my parents were excited. They're like, ah, oh, my boy's going to be in, the, in all the newspapers. And that's what, I mean, they just got every single detail wrong. So hopefully they'll... In that. Um, Other than being excited about that guy dying. Moving on. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street comes out on Blu-ray next week. Um, very excited about that. It was my favorite film in 2013. And Bates Motel started back up. And that is just good, fun, trashy trash. I really enjoy Bates Motel. Just because it's wacky and crazy and a lot of fun. But yeah, the second, I think the third episode is tonight. I got a DVR, I think, so... That's, that's all for me. Excellent. I'm glad you're fired up about those things. Mr. Dalton Stewart, are you fired up as well? It is a slow burn for me as well. Uh, as I mentioned last week, I was unable to watch the season finale of True Detective because HBO Go killed itself. <laughs> but I have since been able to finish season one of the what I, I, I really am coming to believe is a masterpiece of television uh, making, and that is True Detective. Uh, much like... Uh, Silence of the Lambs. It is flawed, but it is a just a perfect uh, specimen of what it wants to be, and that is uh, a, a very much a cousin of Silence of the Lambs, but very much its own thing. Um, I, it's just I love it, and uh, if if you haven't got around to checking it out, uh, believe the hype. I, I know this is definitely it's getting to be the, to the point where this is kind of one of those things where I think the hype could kill it for a lot of people. Uh, and I would say ignore it and be strong and check it out anyway. Uh, I checked out 300 Rise of an Empire this weekend. Did you? Uh, I did, and it is a big old messy bag of cats. Um, <laughs> what? That Ava Green <laughs> That Ava Green shows up, steals, throws in the ocean, uh, and just runs away with the whole movie because she's awesome, mm. and she's Ava Green, and if you don't realize that she's the best thing ever, then you haven't seen her in a movie. Because she is just awesome. She has great screen presence, and um, it's it's fun. I mean, it, it's it's a little bit more self aware than the original Three Hundred is. Uh, to be sure, they actually make fun of how stupid it is for the Spartans to all go die. Mm-hmm. Um, they they poke a lot of fun at how they're fascists uh, and dummies, and it, it's fun. It's silly, and I like sword fights. What do you want from me? Uh, finally, uh, to a, a very timely fired up this week, I I watched Ridley Scott's Hannibal. Uh, Pretty much immediately after finishing Silence of the Lambs for this uh, this episode, and yeah, it's uh, I'm kind of with Arthur. It's okay, but it's totally forgettable. Um, Gary Oldman's really fun and a totally uncredited uh, performance because he's under about an inch of inch and a half of uh, special effects <laughs> makeup. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Arthur. It's kind of uh, Julian Moore does just fine, but it's really hard to to replace a, an iconic uh, yeah. actor. Uh, character relationship uh, and Hopkins is just I don't know if he's phoning it in or he's just uh, by by 2001 2002 we are into full on scene chewing Anthony Hopkins mm-hmm. who just really just shows up and kind of railroads the movie and then leaves um, I really don't like Anthony Hopkins as an actor there I said it oh. I, I think he's hand, oh. I, I think when he's I think when he's good he's great when he's not good he's a total mess and he just kind of railroads movies Internet react, go again. Science, he, just hyped up. he he's he's great in Silence of the Lambs. When he's good, he's great. I am not saying that he is a bad actor. 
I'm saying that you can tell when he doesn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And I think he doesn't want to be there more often than not. Mm-hmm. I don't think... I don't Thor know. Thor 2, I'm looking at you. Yes. I Well, both Thor movies. I don't know if his agent sucks or what, <laughs> but you can tell when he doesn't want to be there. I, I mean, there are a lot of actors who phone it in, uh, and some of them are great even when they're phoning it in. And Anthony Hopkins is not one of those. He just shows up, uh, and you can tell <clears> the director <throat> doesn't know how to handle him, and he just totally drop kicks the movie. Uh, and I don't know if Ridley Scott liked him as a person enough and was just like, yeah, just do whatever you want. But he's just totally wacky uh, in, in Hannibal. Um, and good in places in Hannibal. I actually do like him in Hannibal a bit, but he's nowhere near as on his game as he was in Silence of the Lambs. That's fair. Yeah. I prefer him in Red Dragon. I think he does. Uh, he's good in Red Dragon, yeah. weirdly. Yeah. yeah. I actually <laughs> like Red Dragon. It's uh, It has a distinction of being the one Brett Ratner film that I think is pretty good. There you go. I haven't seen any of those. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, this is a peek behind the curtain, but where we happen to be recording, we are recording on St. Patrick's Day, and all the things that I have to be fired up about today are Irish. Um, uh, first of all, um, I'm a big fan of a sport called rugby. I know no one in the world is, but mm. I like it. Just you and Ireland and Australia. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, the British Isles mostly. There's a major tournament called the Six Nations Tournament, uh, where it's Ireland, Scotland, Wales, England, Italy, and France. Ireland just won Saturday. It's St. Pat's today. Brian O'Driscoll is one of the best backs ever, and he's finally got some hardware, and it makes me very happy. That meant nothing to me. But I don't care about you. Um, I'm just talking about what makes me fired up in pop culture. I know, but it was like you started speaking another language. <laughs> much like much like uh, Gaelic. <laughs> right. Um, and so, uh, very, very much uh, just excited about that. The other thing I'm quite excited about is I happen to just uh, walk into a comic shop because my boy's birthdays are on March 14th. And so I was going to buy them both a uh, Marvel Masterworks. Um, one of them got a Spider-Man edition, one got a Silver Surfer edition, origin stories, etc. Uh, and whatnot for them to read and maybe their dad to read as well. Just saying. <laughs> um, but whilst in there, a man called Mike Kennedy was there sitting at a table for signage and whatnot who has just released an independent graphic novel called Celtic Knights. And uh, so I picked it up. I have an autographed copy of it with a... Uh, uh, a little doodle of the main character, which is or a main character, but the the story is basically all the superheroes' um, secrets were kept on a list, which was a bad idea, it's a Mission Possible mistake, um, and then all the major ones were killed. Only ten or so are left, and so we have the best of what's left to fight. Um, One of them being the Celtic Knights. And then, well, no, no, the Celtic Knights, they're, they're all from Ireland. Oh, okay. And, of course, all the evil... <laughs> the is, only ones who weren't on the list were the Irish. Were the Irish. I know, it's wonderful. And they all happen... <laughs> and, and all the evil happens to be headquartered in Wales, which is awesome. <laughs> awesome. Because you know what a cesspool Cardiff is. And so, there's a lot of in-joking there. The art is not super duper in the first edition um, Bound and Set, the graphic novel that I picked up. But I, they also are releasing a free uh, web uh, comic background story for Junker, who is a homeless version of Batman. That's right. And, uh, no, it, it really is so much fun. And the art looks tons better um, and, and whatnot. Oh, my cry for vote. <laughs> sort of no I, I'm really pleased by it, and I really dig what's going on with independent comics right now and just the whole um, democratization of the art is this, um, is this where Comic Book Corner came from well it, it's a moment that I had I do have it with me yeah I'd love to see that but um, again now I'm going to say this the art's not super duper on the inside 
Um, but what's on the web scene? They, they didn't figure out the grades. He was talking to me. I was like, man, the grades, we didn't figure it out. We couldn't make the grade work in the printing. Mm-hmm. And so, That's a bummer. Yeah. But anyway, they figured out the grades for the uh, webzine and everything else is following. That's the first four or five editions, I think. It is cheap to print in black and white. Yeah, it is. Um, so I'm excited about it. I think it's a lot of fun. I'm going to start following it and all things. Irish always make me happy um, because heritage. It starts different. to get a lot better by the back half of it. Yeah, it does. So that's, again, um, just overcoming um, cost issues and printing issues and figuring it out forward. So... Mike Kennedy is the artist who I met inside that. So that's what's got me fired up this week in Popular Mechanics. Uh, thank you so much uh, for sharing your uh, suggestions and things that have got you fired up. Next time, we're going to keep it Irish, and we're going to look at a movie called The Boondock Saints. Yeah, we're about a week late for it, but whatever. <laughs> that's all right. I, I was able to keep it in this show, and so the next show will just continue on, because Ireland deserves a week. If not a day, I am I am excited and nervous about revisiting this film. And so, you, have you seen it, Arthur? Yeah. Okay. And Dustin, you have. Not. I've never seen. I've it. I've seen it once. So I've seen it. God, probably two dozen times. It was one of my favorite movies when I was. Now you're worried about revisiting. When it. I was when I was like 15, it was one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Now that I uh, know what a good movie looks like, I'm I'm worried. That's cause for concern. Yeah. I, but hopefully it'll be good. Nick, you won't be here next week, so nobody gives a shit what you think. Mm-hmm. But we're happy to have you here for the moment. I was happy to have me here, too. I, I, I yes, agreed. Um, so um, let's just talk about how the conversation can keep on going via social media with us individually. Nick, are you on Twitter? I'm on the Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Nick underscore Sanford. That's me. Uh, Dalton. Facebook. Is there anywhere else where people find you? Your movies and such? Uh, jail on about five years. <laughs> um, uh, go to... <laughs> I'm, a, I'm not a good comic. I'm not a good comedian, guys. Uh, go to uh, he's, face- been, he's been paid to do it. I've been, I got I got a small pizza last year to do comedy. Um, go to it's <laughs> not a joke. Go to <laughs> facebook.com uh, slash broadcast pictures. Uh, that's where you'll find all my movies and stuff. We're about to do a uh, we're about to release a uh, comedy called Elusive. It's about Bigfoot. Search for him. It's not as dumb as it sounds. It's, it's, prob- it's that, pretty good. That's probably that's going to be the tagline on the poster. Is it's not as stupid as it looks. <laughs> I, I like that long line. That so, makes me happy because I hate anytime someone says Bigfoot and I just want to kill, kill them. them which yes. is why I'm going to be in jail in five years. Oh, well, apparently, I'm going to be right there beside <laughs> you because we like set it. it in stereo. Brother, you're with me. Dalton Stewart, are you available on the social media? Uh, I am available on the social media. You can find me on Twitter at doll underscore stew. That's D-O-L-L underscore S-T-E-W, as in a stew you made out of your sister's Barbies. Um, I can also be found on Letterboxd. I never did that. Uh, I can also be found on Letterboxd. Talk about what you know. I am Dalton Stewart or Dalton underscore Stewart on there. I don't really remember. I'm pretty easy to find, though. Uh, and get on Letterboxd. How many times I got to tell you to do it? So many of you are not on there. Get on there and start following me. It's so much fun. You'll love it if you like this show. And finally, the man whose appearance begs the question, if Patrick could drive all the snakes off of Ireland, why did he leave the gingers? If you could, sir, go ahead and give us your Twitter handle. Uh, you can find me at review on Twitter. I am also on Letterboxd, so you can find me there, and we will have more conversations about film if you'd like. I am also on the letterbox and the Tumblr. I'm at iprotein.tumblr.com. And finally, Twitter, Dustin underscore Sells, S-E-L-L-S, and would love to have that conversation uh, with you about the things that matter in popular culture. And until then, watch a movie with somebody and have a conversation because 
There's a lot more going on in the movies than just a couple hours spent eating popcorn. And until then, we'll see you next time. Bye, guys. See my hopes and dreams are lying on my